Hi, I'm Nina Samuels, and apparently you have nothing better to do with your time, so you are listening to the Holy Shoot podcast. and gentlemen and welcome to the fourth edition of the holy shoot wrestling challenge for both our previous and new listeners we have upgraded and changed the format completely and instead of a weekly roundup we thought we would become a weekly debate show we will also still be doing interviews courtesy of our co-host jason on a regular basis and you should definitely check out the last two episodes so what is the Holy Shoot Wrestling Challenge, I hear you ask? The Holy Shoot Wrestling Challenge is a new wrestling quiz show where the arguments, not your overall opinion, wins. Each week, our guests will go head-to-head over five rounds and debate topics that are either relevant to right now or will be themed. After that, we will have a three-count round. The three-count round will be where the two competitors are forced to pick between one of two options and we'll have 30 seconds to say why their option is the best again it's not what they choose wins but their arguments simple got it the winner will be whoever has the most points at the end of the show in the event of a tie after eight rounds we will go to a tiebreaker that they do not know the question right the following contest is scheduled for one fall and it is a singles match introducing first from Woken, sorry, he has a record of one and two. Jason, JC Cornette, Norris. Good day, everyone. Good day. It's not your time to speak yet, Jason. Fine. And introducing his opponent from Sunderland in the northeast of England, making his holy shoot wrestling challenge debut. He is the big man, Mike. Remington! Why, hey, man? How you doing, guys? It's I'm doing bad. good. I'm doing good. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, absolutely. This is the first uh, time you've appeared on the challenge. Are you excited, nervous? I am super excited. I'm sitting here hoping that Jason is wearing a mask so I can call him the mask debater. <laughs> Uh, he wow, really that didn't take point. long to lower the tone, did it? Uh, nine uh, hours I've been sitting on that one. Jason, after falling to a losing record yet again, do you feel confident of going 500? Yeah, I mean, I'm having a good week so far, so I'm hoping it keeps going. You know, sort of doing very well. I had my birthday, a new job's going well. I did that great interview with Jackie. It's been a great week. Yeah, happy birthday, Jason, and uh, thank you for your work on the pod. We had uh, the highest amount of listeners in a recent episode. Do you want to quickly plug that before we get into the main show? Yeah, why not quickly? If anyone hasn't listened to it yet, we did a great interview with Jackie Pratt, who has just completed her PhD, and she wrote some really, really clever stuff about independent, hardcore women's and intergender wrestling, and we spent about an hour chatting about that, and from a very academic, very brainy point of view, and I made sure she didn't use any big big words. We kept it simple so that people like us could understand it, and it's gone down really well. I, I don't know about you guys, but I associate myself with a higher le- level of education over you two, so I understand the really big wordy words. Trust me, um, we, you, you would have got lost. I've read the, actual, heard the chapter, all 50 pages of it. I did have to look up words. Some of them were just way too clever. But we kept it simple. And it was a great chat. Yeah, and it's gone down really well on social media in the last week. Yeah, loads of uh, people from the world of independent wrestling have uh, liked it. So if you do want to check out that show, go back. It's a couple of episodes ago, but give that a listen. Anyway, let's get on with the show. This week, our questions will be centered around championships and champions, since we are approaching WWE Clash of Champions this Sunday. So, question number one. What is the most important championship in the history of professional wrestling? And Mike, since this is your debut, you go first. I have gone with the Intercontinental title. Um, Two-pronged attack here. First of all, 
I think we all have different eras of the WWF that's most important, but the 1980s is where they went international, it's where they expanded, it's where they needed the most money, and the house shows were the things producing the money. IC title was headlining 90% of those shows. So while Hulk Hogan might have been the biggest draw, you had Steamboat, Savage, and Perfect putting on the top matches on the card in defense of that belt. Secondly, you look at the list of champions. You've got Warrior, Hart, Shawn Michaels, The Rock, Triple H, Austin, Jericho, just to name some of the few who used it as a stepping stone up to the main event and had Hall of Fame careers. Fair enough. Jason? Oh, Mike's kept it short and sweet there. I'm just making notes so I can tear that apart. Yeah, sure. Okay, so my time. So I have gone for the most important championship in the history of professional wrestling is the obvious one. It is the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. It is the oldest belt. It's still going. The lineage of this belt makes it the most important belt of all time. Um, It started in 1948. It was the start of organised professional wrestling. Um, Even when it was split off and you had, you know, the WF, WWF eventually split off from this. uh, And it became the WCW title at one point. And even launched was the reason for ECW launched at one point as well. And then it merged with the undisputed title, but it still kept going. Um, it's been around, it, then it became the TNA belt. It's been in every one of the major companies, even up until modern day when it was basically the first AEW title when they had Billy, when Billy Corgan let um, Matt Aldis and Cody, sorry, Nick Aldis and Cody Rhodes fight for it on the first All Elite slash AEW show. Look at the records. Ric Flair won it 10 times. Lou Ferrez held it for 300 Three three hundred sorry three thousand seven hundred days. It made Stinger star. It made AJ star. It is the workers' belt won by the Funk, the Briscoes, Dusty, and Steamboat. And it's a fan. It's the belt hardcore fans respect. So the WWF Intercontinental Championship from Mike, the NWA World Heavyweight Championship from Jason. Guys, fight each other for my entertainment. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You've gone for what is probably the oldest belt. Um, I didn't expect you to go so historic, but you've got to admit the NWA belt vanished. It went. It was, you know, the, you try and track that title history back. Cody won it yeah. from Aldis. Who won it from who? Can you can you actually track it back? Yes, um, you can track it back all the way back to 1948 up until the current yeah, belt wearing. I'm actually asking you. Um, what do you want to know? Like, um, I don't know the exact ones. It, it was um, all this one from. Um, God, um, didn't win from God, the no. old, the old lad. Sorry. He didn't win it from God, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a couple of, there was a couple of guys like Colt Cabana that had. It went for a stage of being like basically back to its roots and being a touring championship, yeah. turning up in ROH and various NWA companies before Billy Corgan bought the company and started making it sort of count again. Uh- I think the question is most important championship in the history of professional wrestling and the IC championship has been, it came into existence and it's been in existence ever since. So, but, so my belt is like the belt has been around the longest, it's been through every single company, it's got the lineage. Your belt, by your own admission, was not the headline belt in its own company and was a secondary belt because Hulk Hogan was headlining the A shows and the IC champion headlined the B shows. The B shows no and the C shows. No one wanted to be on because everyone wanted to be on Hogan's show because that's what drew the actual fans and people cared about. And actually, that's where the money was. And then you talked about it being a working belt and maybe a stepping stone for the likes of Stone Cold. The NWA belt was not only the top belt in its company, it was also generally known as the working man's belt. You know, the good working wrestler like Flair, like Steamboat, some of the names you mentioned, but when they were actually headlining and being top top man for their companies. So I'm, I'm I'm just looking at your two points. It was like the least important belt in its company, and it was a stepping stone. I wouldn't say the least least important at all, but I would say that well, it was definitely a stepping important. stone, a stepping stone to Hall of Fame careers, not a stepping stone to something else. You know, Jericho has got the nine reigns that is still mentioned now. People do talk about SummerSlam '92. I know you were all discussing it the other day. The main event of that was the Intercontinental. It has headline shows on its all right. Only headline shows when it's been a B show or due to a local champion. Whereas the NWA belt has been defended probably more times headline at more shows around the world than any belt in the history of wrestling by the top stars in the business. Mm, that's definitely not true. I would say the the NJPW championship would be the most defended in history. Not been around anywhere near as long. 
Mm, no, but the amount of defense was actually hard. I think if you look at the fact, was it when did the New Japan, that New World Japan World Championship come around? Wasn't that the 80s? Uh, 72. So you're comparing that to, but it was around like what, 30, 40 years before that? And I disappeared for the same amount of time. It's, it never disappeared. It's very, it, the longest it was out of commission for would be like about a year. I think Broad needs to jump in here and decide. Uh, wow, you call, you're calling it around early, Michael. I am. Is that yeah. not how this works? No, no, I decide when it ends, but this uh, the momentum died just right there and then. Oh, okay, fine. I'll make a decision right now. I, oh, Mike, your points are great. This is really tough. This is really tough. I'm going to give the point to... I'm going to give the point to Jason just because, you know, the belt's been around longer. He's made that argument. He gave great stats on, like, who held the title. I think he also made a great counter-argument on the fact that, you know, whilst I disagree, it's the least important title, the Intercontinental title. It's just, you know, you said the word stepping stone and that automatically demotes your title. But, guys... Even though Jason's one nil up, I think I think I had a better answer than both of you. The Iron Man Heavy Metalweight Championship <laughs> is the most important title of all time. Now, like, it, like if a beer can can be world Mike, champion. Ross, wait, but take a step back because no one knows what that belt is. To be fair, that was like the I guess the newest you could call it to is the current twenty four seven belt. But this is a belt that it's similar rules, right? Anyone can win it, and it's been won, like you say, by a beer can, a cat. A cardboard <laughs> cutout. I think and, yeah, and multiple. Like... Curry has won three times, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that you know, I think that one, like, even though it was established in two thousand, it's a very prestigious title. So uh, I, I'm joking. It's the one so, belt any of us could win. Um, I, I I highly doubt you would win it, Jason. You know, I, 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 I could. I, your cat, it. on the other hand, would win. Exactly. I, I could just pin the cat. You know, I'm sure this will work. Wow, uh, that's got strange. So anyway, uh, Jason is 1-0 up. So on to question number two. Who should dethrone Kofi Kingston for the WWE Championship? Jason, you get to go first. Uh, it's obvious it's big money John Cena. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to hype. I'm doing this. You hype his return for the first Fox edition of SmackDown. People are expecting the usual cameo. But instead, oh no, we get big money, John, and he's here to work for a few months. He's challenging Kofi. We've got a short respect feud that actually helps get Kofi over more. But then ultimately, Cena beats Kofi a few weeks later on SmackDown. Um, he makes history. He's now got the most recognised world titles in WWE history, one more than Flair, which I can imagine like they'd want to go for with the way that Flair's behaving right now. I'm not saying he has a long run. But they need someone to be a big ratings boost on SmackDown. They need to do better than they're doing now. And they need to do better than they're going to do simply from having a larger audience. He's the only bullet they've got left in that chamber. But they can actually use to make a regular for a few months and help launch their new show on Fox. Mike? Um, I've gone with Big E. Um, <laughs> I think we've found ourselves in the situation where after five months of being champion, this isn't just a, you know, let's give Kofi the belt just for a nice little feel good moment. He's actually a real champion now. And I think whoever beats him gets elevated in that process. So I think we automatically rule out Orton, Lesnar, and in reality, anyone who's won the belt before, including Cena. Um, I've gone for either Big E or Xavier Woods because I think... You know, the, the new day should be getting jealous now. And out of the two, Big E will probably get the biggest push because of Vince's love of big men. Okay, so John Cena versus Big E, fight each other, please. I'd like to know more about what you've got here, Mike. How does this work? So Big E wins the belt mainly because of the jealousy angle. So they give up on all the merch money of like the highest merchandising, making money, like team going. And what happens? I don't understand how he turns. Well... I've actually written here, just imagine that they managed to do something that they haven't done for the first 50 years of their existence. Why does he have to turn? Why can't Big E just challenge him for the belt? He win wins the belt in a great match, and then they hug, and they shake, and there's no turn. There doesn't have to always be a turn. They're all professional wrestlers. I thought you made reference to a jealousy angle. So there is no jealousy. There can be jealousy, which leads him to say, I think I'm better than you. I want the title shot. It could be Xavier who turns in the end because those two have such a good match over the belt and maybe trade it back and forth. You could have Big E win the Rumble and get a title shot after a year. There's so many ways you can go, but you don't need a heel turn. 
you put in the vote on Big E from Kofi, but you're not turning either of them here, or you're not doing a big storyline, you're just making them hug at the end. I think we forget we watch wrestling. We don't watch it to have turns. We watch it for the great match. Why can't they have a great match and give us a feel-good moment at the end? Because that's not how sports entertainment works, Mike. I'm <laughs> well, I maybe we really need to turn it up a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, anyway, continue fighting. Yeah, Mike. I mean... Jason's Jason's John Cena. I mean, how many times are we going to see John Cena come and bury up and coming talent? Does he have to be the one who? Yeah, I mean, um, how do you have to hate him? I think he's coming in the, in the title picture. He's up and coming. He is brand new. This is something new. This is something fresh. So my my feud though it means that John Cena beats Kofi for the belt. I'm not saying that Kofi can't win the belt back down the line, but I'm saying Kofi Kofi and John Cena makes the most sense, and you have Cena win the belt from him. You could even get Kofi over more by having him then beat Cena for the belt and winning it back. I don't think anyone once Cena beats them for the belt then gets the return win. It's always the other way. Cena always seems to win 2-1 in a trilogy of matches. That's the way it's always gone. Look at Kevin Owens. And Kevin Owens wasn't a new face, but he was a new face to that picture and ended up, you know, pushed back. I think a long time ago in a different situation, they need a star. They need Fox to be really happy and they need to do record ratings and they are struggling as they are at the moment. John Cena is the only way they can do that. I think a New Day split would be those record ratings, especially if they were going head-to-head. You have what looks like a rivalry. We all go into our um, rewatch knowing that there's going to be a turn, and then, oh my God, there is no turn. I just think you need to bring back casual and lapsed fans. I don't think Big E gets you anywhere near doing that. Big E is visually the champion that casual and lapsed fans want to see. He looks like a champion. There's a clue in his name. He is big. (laughs) I can't argue with that logic. He is big. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just not seeing it. I think I don't see how you like make money out of that and drive ratings up, which is what they need to do. I think uh, it makes money and drives ratings up because it goes back to wrestling. I don't think that's what makes money for WWE. I'm going to say it. It should be. It's sports entertainment. And they, they are the most entertaining people on the roster at times. And you add Xavier, you know, not knowing which way to go. Should I side with Kofi? Should I side with Big E? You've got a whole secondary storyline going on there. I mean, I, I think it's an interesting idea of doing that, but I don't think it makes sense as a way to take the belt off Kofi. I think you could do it down the line, but I wouldn't be doing it to, as a way to end Kofi's, I guess, like monumental, a very important title reign. I don't yeah. think you transfer that. I don't think you get anything by transferring it to Biggie. Yeah, I, th- I think the question is who should take the title off Kofi. So to say it doesn't make sense to take the title off him doesn't really fit the question. Uh, yeah, well, I think John Cena taking the belt off him does make sense because John Cena equals ratings, big money, John. Right. I think we're a bit past that now. He's he's a box office star. He's he's having hit movies. He, he comes does out. He, he doesn't need the, the belt to goes, do that. He comes out, the crowd goes mental. Oh, yeah, but that's what... I mean, you expect Cena to come out and just do a cameo on SmackDown when it goes to Fox for one week. That's what everyone's going to expect. Instead, you have him clear his schedule for a few months, and he's working every week on SmackDown. That makes a difference to the ratings. I, I can see that happening, but I can see him losing to Kofi, which pushes Kofi even better. That's what John Cena should be used for now. I think John Cena has no problem losing. Wow. Okay. I think the way he put Bray Wyatt over with the belt, I know that didn't work out as planned, but when Bray Wyatt won the world title, John Cena insisted that he was the one who got pinned by Bray Wyatt for that belt. And that was the last title reign he had. This is the same John Cena who beat Bray Wyatt in his WrestleMania match. WrestleMania, that's very different to the world title that they were doing. Again, that put a, a stop to Bray Wyatt's rise. I don't know. I don't think anyone gets stopped on their ride by losing to John Cena on the biggest show in wrestling in the world. So I'm going to call it. And this is great. This is great. This is this is guaranteed money versus something fresh. This is business versus creative. This is two different arguments. I really like this. But. But I've got to do something, guys. I'm feeling the fresh argument. I just broke a can of deodorant. Uh, Jason's unimpressed. I feel the fresh argument. Mike takes a point. Um, Jason, you just didn't really say much beyond um, 
Oh, John makes money. John makes money. I felt Mike had more counters to you. I will say this, though, in defense of John Cena. If you're talking about a trilogy of matches that John Cena lost, he technically lost to AJ Styles twice. So there there was that. And if you gave that counter argument, maybe it would have swung in your favor, Jason, but Mike had a strong argument. And I really I'm like... A, I'm a businessman. And I, I really, really love the point that why does there have to be a turn? There doesn't have to be one. And that's that's smart. So I'm going to give the point to Mike. I think he made smarter points on the whole. Uh, so it's one apiece. So that moves us on to question number three. Clash of Champions is coming up this Sunday. Therefore, I ask you, what is the best championship match to ever take place at the event? The answers can also include uh, from Knight of Champions, the predecessor to Clash of Champions, as well as WCW Clash of the Champions, because WWE bought out WCW back in the day, so technically it's a WWE product. So, any match from those three events? Mike, you get to go first. Okay, so I've gone back in time a little bit here, back to Clash of the Champions 6, back in 1989. Ooh. We saw... We saw Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat in a two out of three falls match. It was a 55-minute classic, but just to give the newer fans a little bit of idea, this was the second in a trilogy of matches that you know newer fans have referred to the Amiga Ricardo trilogy. This was the original trilogy of great wrestling. Um, all three matches by David Meltzer were given five stars, but this was the only one to go on to win the Wrestling Observer Match of the Year and got over 1,200 votes, whereas the other two got 900. And to really drum home how good this match is, this was on free-to-air TV. They had to decide which show to put out. On the same show, Sting defended the TV title, and Lex Luger defended the North American title, and both matches were sent on to dark matches. They didn't make TV. This match absolutely stole the show in so many ways. Very good. Jason, what what is your answer? My answer is going to be sort of very close to this. It's actually a few months later. It's Clash 9. It's it's Ric Flair after he won the book from the steamboat during that feud Mike's talking about versus Terry Funk in an I Quit match. Um, I've gone, I looked at both of these matches as a clear like one and two for me, but I think this one is better. It's a brawl. It's the opposite of what Mike just talked about. This is not a technical masterclass. This is the one that everyone should be watching. They work hard on this. It's 20 minutes of just fighting, and it shows a completely different side to Ric Flair. Funk works his neck the entire match, including a power driver on the ramp. Um, they go 20 minutes. There's no, oh, should we drag this out for an hour? There are no rest holds. And where when Flair finally wins, it's because he finally locks on the figure four lead lock. And also on this, Funk is already 45 at this point, and he kept bloody going for years. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. So I'm going to add a little caveat to this. I have not seen either match. So you know what? I'm going to change this slightly. I want you to sell me this match, gentlemen. I want you to sell me your matches to me. And then I want you to tear each other apart. Oh, okay, okay. Well, tear each other apart. Tear each other apart. Don't attack the judge, Jason. It never works out in your favour. Anyway. <laughs> I'm like Jericho going mad when he's in New Japan, just attacking refs and all the ringside boys. Tearing the place up. I've got Vader on you. No, no. Go back to the actual question and the argument. So, Mike, Jace, you, you want me to sell this match to you? Okay, so the entrance is alone. Ric Flair is accompanied by four ladies, which I know will appeal to you. It obviously is a special, extravagant match. I've already said, not only are those two matches relegated to the dark matches, but Jim Ross, who was on commentary with Terry Funk, which adds another dimension to it, also actually tells us that those two matches have not made the show because of this. This is before the first, you know, before the first bell. This match has been sold to us as something so epic. Secondly, this was the rematch. I did say it was two out of three. Um, the second of three matches which is also two out of three falls 
this was the rematch from a five-star classic. There was so much anticipation going into it. And with two out of three falls, we got three different matches. It obviously went one fall each. And after 55 minutes of epic wrestling between two of the greatest of all time in a match that's still referenced today, come the end of it, we still did not have a definitive winner. It's one of the first examples I've ever seen of a double pin where all four shoulders are on the mat at the same time. Much overused today, but at the time, left the crowd absolutely flabbergasted. Jason's match, it's a great match. Whoa, it's, whoa, you know... whoa, 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 We're selling. We're not arguing here, right? Oh, oh no. Really? Uh, no, I, I, I asked you to argue yeah. as well. Tear, so... tear each other apart were the words used. Well, I well... you said to sell your own match, okay. Yeah, yeah well... Well, well, both of you have sold it. No argue. Well, Mike, no, well, I, I, if we're doing a proper sell job, I want to do my sell job before Mike gets to tear Fine, do your sell job, and, and then Mike gets back to the point of tearing you apart. Go. Okay, so... You haven't seen this match, right? So you don't know the build for this. My match builds from the moment they get done with the, you know, dusty. Sorry, after the dusty finish of like Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair, they had that match. Flair wins the belt. From that point, that's when they start building mine. Terry Funk puts Ric Flair through a table at ringside. Doesn't get done back in that era. That was a sort of landmark moment. Um, Funk came back out of retirement for this match. This was the first time he came back out of retirement when it meant something. Both of these guys can cut promos. We all know Steamboat's a great wrestler. He couldn't cut a promo. These guys built the match up for like months building this up. And then when Flair and Funk had this amazing 20-minute hardcore brawl and for that for that era, you know, just full-on, just working each other, brutal fighting. And at the end of it, Funk begs off. He's begging, he's saying, I quit. He's putting Ric Flair over in a big way. There's no cheap finish here. It's a short feud, but it's an amazing match. I think what you've just said there really resonates. It was a short feud. It might be a great match, but mine has a year either side of build-up, of matches. It's got... And, but, and, but it has and, a cheap finish. It has a cheap finish because they want it to be the second of three. It leads to a third match. So they go 55 minutes, and you have an undisappointed crowd and a five-star rating. So that really sells how good this match is. After 55 minutes, they don't get a winner, and they are happy. Mm, I'm not sure how happy they were. I mean, I know that there was more of a reaction because, wow, that was an amazing match. I don't feel like happy with it. Not a clear win. Wow, that was an amazingly creative finish. Who would have ever thought of having a double pin? Well, I I think clever they got the double pin. I think mine had more innovation just from like the build up to it and what they were doing and how the brutal that match was. I mean, was have you got any actual issues with my choice? I can point out yours is too long of a match. I think your match your match is great. It it also got five stars, Um, but your match has Terry Funkin, who while is a a great performer, is also one of my personal favorite talkers who does commentary with Jim Ross for my match. I mean, having Terry Funk with his unique selling ability you want me to sell the match you asked terry funk to sell something and in his incredible voice that match is made exactly your match is just a, like a warm-up for my match terry <laughs> funk's head and rick flair's working getting ready for my main event compared to your mid-card you know sort of nice two out of three falls match which also meant some big people got missed off the card because of the length of this match and the egos involved uh, it was a two-hour card. I wouldn't say the length of the match took over. That It was obviously going in. I think they were really selling how important it was by relegating two title matches off the card for a free-to-air TV match. I mean, it's a good match. And obviously, it's some pure wrestling. But I think my match is just more interesting because it shows a side of flair you don't see very much, for one thing, as well. And it's flair's, like, almost babyface champion. It's the rarity of that. Yes, it was a short feud, but it was a hot feud. It was just like something they needed to cleanse the palate after the Flair Steamboat run. Yeah, I think we're on total opposite sides here because mine was a long feud and there's a still reference today, which I think makes it better. I think you don't think it was still reference Flair Funk. I think that's still a match a little bit reverted in terms of a proper brawl hardcore match for some of the spots they did. I, I think you know, you'd have to be a very of... hardcore fan to have heard that referenced. I think their empty arena match gets referenced a lot because of what Mankind and Rock went on to do. But that individual match you're talking about, after a few weeks, it was forgotten. Oh, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you? Ooh. I, <laughs> I think I've made my decision. I think I've made my decision. I really like this. I really like this back and forth. Again, like two different, different arguments. A bloody brawl versus a technical masterclass. Mike was winning, and then, you know, Jason 
had the point because Mike was selling your match. However, Mike wins it right at the death purely because he just goes, well, you know, my match gets referenced. And I heard, you know, I'm a WCW ignoramus, ladies and gentlemen, like from the 1980s, but I've heard of Flair Steamboat. I've heard of those legendary matches. Flair Funk... I haven't heard of it, and I've never heard of it get referenced in terms of hardcore matches. So, on that basis alone, Mike takes the lead two points to one. Well, I'll give you that. I figured Mike would go first here, and I knew which would be choosing one of these two matches. I knew we'd both go for these because they are so clearly one and two. Yeah. And I'm like, he's going to go for Flair and Steamboat. I've got to go with the other one and build my case. Yeah, I think it's great to go I, watch. Hey, look. I tell you this, you you sold me this. I'm gonna watch it this Saturday when I got nothing to do um, uh, in the morning. So I'm definitely watching both matches now. Like I'm in proper sold. I'm a, I'm excited to watch them actually. But anyway, yeah, they, are, what a, they are so far ahead of anything else. How dare you interrupt my segue, Jason? You lost. No, yeah. I'm joking. But anyway, speaking of excitement, I'm excited to hear your answer to the next question, gentlemen. Who are the greatest tag team champions in the history of WWE? And before anybody answers, answers can include uh, the following titles. The WWE Tag Team Championships, the WWE Unified Tag Team Titles, the World Tag Team Championships, which were during the Ruthless Aggression Era, the Women Tag Team Championships, NXT and NXT UK Tag Team Championships, as well as Raw and SmackDown Tag Team Championships. I am going to exclude uh, any champions that were from WCW and ECW but did not uh, win it in WWE. Um, they have to have won a WWE Tag Team title or WWF. So, Jason, yeah, you and, get to go first. And I wanted you clarify it there that included WWF. So we're not just talking WWE anymore. We're talking any WWF. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool to make sure. So, so you, can, about... you can you can you can choose the uh, jumping bomb angels for the women's tag team Ooh, titles if you want to. I didn't think about that. <laughs> they were very good, but no, I'm not going with them. I'm going with the Heart Foundation. Because um, they did it all as a team. So, um, and when I say all, so they started the run as heels. They had amazing matches with the likes of the British Bulldogs, who they actually beat for the belts. Um, you know, they did some great heel work in terms of the promos, everything mean, they did with Jimmy Hart. They then went face, had some great matches with the likes of the Rockers. And when they went face, they beat Demolition, the established top dogs of the era, who were having a record-breaking tag run. And the hearts were just so over at this point. They are the perfect big man, small man, small man team. It's a classic combination you expect in a tag team. One's the big guy with the muscle. The smaller one's all about the technical wrestling. And they use that to do some really amazing, well-planned tag team moves, including their finisher, the heart attack. Um, and also, who doesn't love Jim the Anvil Night Out on promos, laughing like a maniac while Bret Hart's playing it cool with the shades on? Um, yeah, and I want to say they may have only had two reigns, but it's not about the to- it's not about the amount of reigns you have. You've got to look at the era they wrestled in. This is before the Attitude Era, where there was a title change every month. They earned those two reigns because they sold tickets and were popular. Before you answer, Mike, uh, Jason, do you know what my favourite number of reigns is? Your favourite number of reigns is it Roman reigns or some sort of reference oh, to that? Oh, you ruined my joke. Mike. Okay, so I was thinking what would make a team the greatest of all time, and I was trying to think would it be the two people who combined had the best career? Would it be match quality? Would it be teamwork? Would it be storylines? Or would it be the crowd reaction? And I realised that no matter what measuring stick you use, you get the same team every time. So the greatest tag team champions in WWE history, as far as I'm concerned, are Team Hell No. I think. Whoa! Uh, hey. <laughs> I, I presume you think I would go for an older team, but I yeah. think I think they've got it all. I think the first of all got the commentary, the, sorry, the comedy. I think they've got the initial hatred for each other, the reluctance to be a team, which built into an amazing friendship. I think WWE and WWF have often failed giving us comedy skits, but on these occasions with the, um, you know, hug it out and the psychologist and stuff, I think it's really memorable, happy. Um, segments. They also had great matches. They weren't just a comedy team. They had some fantastic matches. They had some fantastic title defenses, fun matches, memorable moments with the I'm the champion, no, I'm the champion, no, I'm the champion. You know, looking back at tag teams, there have been some amazing tag teams, but these two 
They'd had brilliant careers already. They were put together. It didn't look like it would work. It did work. And it actually led to Daniel Bryan having an, a, you know, a top career and becoming a, cop, a top guy. And Kane, who's a surefire Hall of Famer, managed to reinvent himself and actually looked like he was having fun doing it. Wow. So, Team Hell No versus the Heart Foundation. Fight! Oh, that's an interesting choice, Mike. I wasn't expecting this um, because I thought there's no way anyone would think Hell No were the best tag team of all time in WWE, to be honest. <laughs> um, so it's all, um, I mean, I could tear this apart, but is there any reason why I'm not right? That you're not right that then the worst? I mean, but is there any reason I'm not right, but the Heart Foundation are clearly the best team? Is there anything you can do to like explain why I'm not right before I just tear yours apart? I think that the Heart Foundation, while being a good team, I don't think they had any really classic matches and classic moments. They might have had did some good ne- matches for the time. Did, did you not see the British Bulldogs feud? I did see the British Bulldogs feud. Those matches still stand out. They're amazing. Bret Hart and Dynamite Kid could go today. <laughs> They're amazing for the time. And yes, Bret Hart and Dynamite Kid could go today. So the singles aspect of those tag matches were great. Unfortunately, Jim the Anvil, Night Art and British Bulldog could not go today. Both- Bulldog back in that era was nearly as good as those two. He was a lot more athletic, and Anvil played his part well. You're telling me you don't rate the matches against the Brain Busters, the Demolition, the Bulldogs, Nasty Boys, the Rockers. You don't rate any of those hey, matches that don't, don't, had. Don't, don't get me wrong. The, the opening match of SummerSlam 89 against the Brain Busters is one of the best tag team matches I've ever seen, but I attribute well, that to the Brain Busters. Got- Oh, really? No. Yeah. You can't have a match that good and say it's down to one team, Mike. I think, no, I, no, no, I no, think they no, elevate no, it no, to no. a whole new level. But I'm also talking, we're talking about the greatest tag team in the history. It didn't say the best technical wrestlers. It didn't say the most athletic. It says the greatest tag team champions, the ones that give us the most memories. And I really think Team Hell No give us a lot more individual memories. I mean, I'll give it you hell no, were really fun in the modern era, but if you look over the history of WWE, I don't think they're really, they're not making top 20 tag teams when you look at it. I mean, yeah, they did some comedy. Uh, it was good, it was a short run. They had the funny thing with the hatred thing, but it was, you know, again, it's time it wasn't a long term team. And the matches were good, but nothing like the hearts had. You're trying to put hell no on any metric. I can't think of how you'd put them above. If you want to go for comedy, there's better comedy teams. There's better odd couple teams. There's better teams for matches. There's no way about how I know Team Hell No is getting there. I'm, I'm, trying to go with, I'm trying to go with the overall. They had the comedy and they also had the great matches. They did have some really good matches. They worked think, well as a team. They were so I, opposite I as being, well. Uh, I think being pretty good in several categories is not a reason to be the best team of all time. Mm. You know, if you want to do like odd couple tag teams, you know, you could talk about you could go back a bit more. You could talk about Kane and X Pac. Just to give you an idea, Booker and Goldust. There were other fun teams that had belts, but were like doing the odd couple thing. Hell, Big Show Jericho. There's lots of guys that did that and had the comedy going on as well. Okay, but can you say something great that the Hart Foundation did that wasn't based on the fact that their opponents were great as well? Well, they were a great tag team in terms of actual combination moves. You look at the way they wrestled together, it was about being really smooth. Like, they actually, their finishing moves, the way that Amber would slam Brett into people, the way they charge each other into people. Team Hell No did not have tag team moves. The Heart Foundation were put in on a clinic every time they were in there, whoever the opponents were, because they worked really well as a team. Okay, but can you tell me a match that they had against a team that wasn't classed as a great tag team? Uh, I don't know. Do you think the Nasty Boys are a great tag team? Oh, they were amazing. Much better than the Heart Foundation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever I say here. Um, uh, I think Brod's going to have to get the deodorant back out now. <laughs> oh. I, I, I was waving the can of deodorant. I think some of the clunkiness of like the powers of pain, some of those kind of guys were not exactly great workers, and the Heart Foundation still did good matches. A good match against Power Pain. I don't think I remember that one. Uh, I to go deep into the archive. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll give you the Hot Foundation. They're a great team. But I think the question was greatest team in the history. I think Team Hell No will always go down. I think in, in, in 20 years, I think fans who have got into wrestling in the last four or five years will remember more clearly segments involving Team Hell No than we remember about the Hot Foundation. And this is spoken as a history lover. 
I think you're relying on the fact that there's just more exposure for Hell No during that short period due to the amount of TV exposure that WWE had during this time compared to during the classic era. And I think, and were they around for a year? Uh, just, over it. just, just over a year, but remember, they were around as those characters before and it developed not afterwards into Daniel Bryan's first defence. We're talking about the tag team that was around for a year, but you think it's the best tag team of all time. Yeah. This is, this is a nonsense. <laughs> I'm going to stop this. I am going to stop this. Um, oh, I did not expect Team Hell No to come out of your mouth, Michael. I liked it, though. I liked the answer a lot, and I liked some of the reasons you gave. I liked some of the counter-arguments you gave. However, I feel Jason landed a killer blow by asking you to name, you know, a great match Team Hell No uh, had, and, you know, you didn't you didn't really name anything. And I think you also attacked the Heart Foundation by saying, no, they aren't a great tag team. You know, name name one match they had with the with a great tag team. I always believe in the philosophy of two to tango. Um, I think you know, I think Jason, being critical of your argument, I think you know you should have referenced that the heart attack is you know copied a lot, and some of the heart foundation's moves were copied a lot in today's wrestling. That would have really put over your point, but it doesn't matter. You've won it here. It's two all. So. We're on to the final of our, you know, slower round. You know, the building up stage to the speed round. The three count round, should I say. And it's it's a bit of fantasy time. It's makeover time! Which belt should get a redesign? Mike, I know you like makeovers. Give a belt a redesign. Uh, this was the hardest question of the night. I actually had to go to Google and get an image of each of the belts. I'm not really a belt or a design man. However, having done that, one of the belts really stood out as looking weak compared to the other ones. So the belt that I would choose would be the current SmackDown Tag Team Championship belt. Um, the reasons are, first, like I say, it looked weak compared to the other. It looks small. It's silver. It's got a blue strap. And secondly... Um, trying not to follow into the business too much, but SmackDown is about to get more exposure than it has in any time in its history. The tag team champions are going to be, you know, that they, they need to be special. They need to have something. Um, so if I was to redesign a belt, it would be the tag team championship belt. And I would either give it a total new look or I would do something I've wanted to do for a long time, ever since I found out that Vince hates calling them belts and it doesn't allow it. Give them something other than a belt. Let's try something new again. Mm. Mm. Jason, which belt do you think should get a redesign? Um, I've got some similar thinking to Mike, actually, in the way that I'm going down my idea. So um, I've looked at it and said, I want to change the SmackDown world title um, because I think the Raw Universal belt and the SmackDown world belt look exactly the same, apart from a bit of being red or black. To, to clarify, you mean the WWE Championship? Yeah, the SmackDown, but which is the WWE Championship. Yeah, just for the audience. Just to, just to be clear, that's so yeah, the, the men's title, the World Championship versus the Universal Belt. The one's the World, one's the Universe. The only difference is one has red leather, one has black. Make the World Title a bloody World Title again actually make it stand out go a bit old school with it maybe and you know i'm thinking similar reasons you're going to be on smack smackdown's got a matter on fox you want something to make it look you want to stand out from raw and smackdown they need to be different i want them to make the belt maybe do the old-fashioned you know the world title where the actual globe is on it but maybe make it more brash make it shiny make it work in hd and no more name tags make it a belt to be respected but does not get modified for the champion Ooh. Guys, fight. Yeah, um, I think... And you go first, Mike. Yeah, I'm, I think if we are sticking with them having belts, the top world champion on SmackDown and the top world champion on Raw, in my opinion, the closer those belts can look with just one difference to distinguish them is the best way to go because much as we hate to say it, they are meant to be equal. We are meant to have two world champions. We have the Raw the and the SmackDown. The universe is bigger than the world. 
totally disagree with that. If that was a question, I would love you dis- to. You disagree? You think the universe is the same size as the world? I'm confused. <laughs> Let's go back to your first answer. The NWA Championship is the most important because of its history and how long it is. The, the world goes back to 1963. The Universal goes, what, 2016? Exactly. They need to make more money to build the world title up. So they need to make it count more. And Mike, you're missing my joke, but you think the world is the same size as the universe. Ah, with you, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought there was some like AJ Styles flat earth shit going down, but apparently <laughs> not. <laughs> well, you know, you're making my point, Mike. Yeah, it goes back further, and they're just disrespecting it by making it look like the universal title. They should treat that with some respect. And the SmackDown belt should be the one with the lineage and the belt that matters, because Fox matters more than USA, and SmackDown needs to start mattering more than Raw. Yeah, Jason, I totally agree with that. But unfortunately, WWE don't push it like that. And we've got to work with in their constraints. They try and push it as two world champions. And the twain shall only meet in special events, rumbles and mania. So if they have to push them as two equal belts, the, not one belt should be so different to the other. What do you think of the SmackDown Tag Team Championship belt? I think that any time you give someone something which is meant to be a championship but isn't an actual title, it looks really silly. Like when they give someone a medal or a trophy to carry around. Yeah, I, I said, what do you think about the actual belt that they've got now? Well, the actual belts, they're fine. I think they're just tag team belts. No one cares about tag team belts in WWE anyway, so, you know. That's because they look so bad. <laughs> I don't actually have a problem with this. I don't actually mind the tag belts. I don't know if it's me. I think they are suitable tag team titles for me. I look, When I looked through the belts, I was like, what don't I like? The SmackDown tag title was a, well, okay. It was a world title. But I was like, I'd really change that. But your, your overall argument is you don't like the World Championship because it's too similar to the Universal. So why is your argument not change the Universal so it looks different to the World? Because the Universal belt has got a red leather, which is for Raw, which is SmackDown. They haven't done. They've kept it on black leather. So I figure they, they need to get the red and the belt they've established for Raw as it is. And then they should change SmackDown. And again, because of the lineage, that is the belt which they should make look like a traditional belt, not the one with the WWE logo on it. Okay, but I think if you go your way and have red for a belt that's on Raw and blue for a belt that's on SmackDown, that distinguishes them too much. It kind of says, this belt isn't going to change hands onto a SmackDown because it's a Raw belt. I think they should yeah, be two belts. Be one should be on Raw and one should be on SmackDown. But again, I'm all for doing new things. Imagine they put themselves in a situation where both world champions were on the same show. What? Yeah, they shouldn't why, do why, that. Why shouldn't they do that? Why does everything have to follow this predetermined logic that they can't possibly be on the same show and you know if the intercontinental title changes hands they must then switch another title just to balance it up they're meant to give a i know it's sports entertainment but they're meant to give an element of you know we're, we're giving a real product here that anything can happen somebody could win two or three belts the belts could be on the same show what are you proposing by the way so for the smackdown belts you want to get rid of the belts what do you want them to have what's your actual redesign oh if they got rid of something instead of the belt Yes, you're saying get rid of the tag belts. Yeah, get get rid of the tag belts. We've got so many belts going around. Just give them something different. Give them something that they can use as a prop or some some other stories that have never happened. I mean, you you get what that would be. uh, You could go with some sort of trophy, some sort of ring, some sort of outfit, something that distinguishes you. That when you come on the screen and you see it, you know that they are the SmackDown Tag Team Champions. I would love to see the SmackDown Tag Team outfit. I would love it. I think we'd all buy it. I think that would be a merchandise idea. You know, I've got a belt, but I've got the boxer shorts. <laughs> I mean, God. you basically want to make the SmackDown tag belt the 24-7 title. <laughs> I so almost chose that if the 24-7 title wasn't so new, that would have been the one I chose. I don't think they expected it to be as popular and fun as it is. They may have put some more effort into it. Mm. Uh, it's hard to argue. I mean, like you're just saying you don't like that. I'm not quite clear why you don't like the tag belts. I'm not clear what the issue you have with them is. I just think it it looks weaker compared to the other. It looks smaller. It looks cheaper. And they should either redesign it to make it look as good as the others, or try something different. You should. You know what they should do? They should make the belts look like two big butterflies on like pink leather. And <laughs> that'd be a nice new idea. Oh. Uh, Jason for creative. Dot com. Anyway, I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call time on this. Um, uh, uh, 
boy. I have to go with Jason here. Um, I think he just made some better points. I do... I'd like your argument, Mike, of why does it have to be a championship? But at the same time, it's about redesigning a championship, not, you know... Uh, uh, boxer shorts. Boxer shorts. Oh, you, you would buy them. I just have. No, oh, I wouldn't. When, I, I I have taste, surprisingly. Um, when Mike said this about the outfit, I just thought of the young bucks when they came out for the um all in or the all out show in their Elvis jumpsuits, and I just oh, thought you'd yeah. have something like that. that the tag champs must wear yeah. something some, like that. Some some sort of onesie with a belt actually printed on it. That sounds like some sort. Of three-man band shit. Um, so I have to give Jason a point. I, it was a tough one. I don't think either of the arguments are that great, to be honest, but, uh, you know. You set the questions. We can only do what we can, bro. I know, I know. I would have gone for the AEW title just to uh, stir some shit up, but there you go. <laughs> I did wonder about that. I like it, but I know some people don't like it. I think it's a squash crab. Yeah, so anyway. Yeah, I agree as well. Uh, anyway, so it's three points to two at the end of the normal round we'll give it a better title soon join us after the break for our three count round hey you if you like the podcast then remember to like the holy shoe wrestling podcast on facebook and follow us on twitter at holy shoe pot do it do it now Welcome back from the break, and right now is our three-count round. This is our speed round. Each competitor will be uh, given 30 seconds to uh, answer a question that is either or the first person that says the answer. Uh, so, for instance, who's a better Intercontinental champion, Jinder Mahal or Jeff Hardy? I don't think Jinder ever won it, but... Uh, if the first person says Jinder, then the other person would have to go Jeff Hardy. 30 seconds to explain uh, their answers, and then they'll have a minute to fight each other. After that time, I will make a decision. Got it. Hopefully you have, ladies and gentlemen, because I just explained that off the top of my head. But anyway, first question of the three-count round. Who is a better 24-7 champion, Drake Maverick or R-Truth? R-Truth. R-Truth. Mike's got it. Our truth first, so Jason, you have Drake Maverick. Mike, let's uh, hear your answer. Thirty seconds, starting from now. I think first of all, our truth is obviously the better wrestler and more believable to win actual matches when a match does occur. Drake has the comedy element, but I think Truth has him trumped in that as well. Our truth is so funny. I think I love him. I know Vince loves him. So both as a wrestler, as a comedy, as a character, as a talker, I think he beats him on all of that. Drake just has comedy. Nothing else. Fair enough. With seven seconds to spare. Jason, Drake Maverick, go. Yeah, I think Drake is actually the funnier of the two and shows more range when he's trying to win the belt or losing it from the sneak attacks that he does. The fact he is, he is a smaller man and less believable ties into the sneakiness of this belt. And it's kind of like when Crash Hardy and the Pat Patterson bit won the hardcore belt. The actual money in a belt like this is that it's a comedy belt. It doesn't matter that you're a believable champion. It should be funny and just take up small segments of time that people laugh at. Uh, with three seconds to spare. Great. Fight. Well, yeah, I, I think R-Truth, like I said, does have the comedy. I think he's funnier. I think his disguises and trying to hide and his work with Carmella is funnier than Maverick's um, work with his unconsummated wife. Um, I think that's all he has going, and when they finally do consummate, there'll be nothing left for him to do. He's I never going to consummate that marriage. That's the point. I think that the wife is going to win the title, and Drake is then going to win the title while consummating that marriage. They should have done that, and they decided not to on their honeymoon. At which point, our truth will unroll them up, and we'll be back to square one. I think they can't. I think they can do that in their modern PG era. Um, I mean, truth is good, like I said, but I think just I think he's not got the same, but the same sort of entertainment value that Drake has. Truth is actually almost like he's done his moments. I think there's not much more he can do. He's done his little I'm hiding thing. But I think there's more to explore with the Drake character. I think he's actually shown more range. The way he's won the belt has been more entertaining. Time, time, mainly. time, oh. time. Jason is leading three points to two right now. 
Jason oh. is leading four points to two. Oh, my God. Oh, surprise. Just a few more points at the end there. The killer jab. Anyway, second question of the three-count round. Jason, you need one more point to win. Mike, you need to win the next two questions in order to make it to a tiebreaker. Who made a better IWGP world champion? Hiroshi Tanahashi or Kazuchika Okada? Go. Okada. Mike said Okada. Jason, you said Tanahashi. Uh, I, J- I said Okada Mike first. said Okada first. No, Mike no said Okada first. Yeah, he no did. No way. Uh, that's what I heard. When Mike said Okada first. When we listen back, when we <laughs> listen back, you will hear how wrong you are. Well, then I made a bad decision. I'll just Can have to live with that for the, the rest of my life. I want to take it to the bar. I don't care. Mike said Okada first, according to my ears. So, you have Hiroshi Tanahashi. Mike, since you said Okada first, you get to go first. Okay, I think it's a simple fact that he's been the champion during the most important stage of New Japan history. He has had five-star match after five-star match, and he's done it while the eyes of the world have been on him. Um, Tanahashi might be the ace, but in my eyes, Okada is the title reign maker. I like that. All right, Jason. I refuse to answer under protest, and I think all of our sexy listeners will know why. I think you're going to find you're wrong, Jason. I definitely said it first. Jason, you're wrong. Do you want to answer? You've got five more seconds. A card. A Well, since Jason's clearly given up in the spirit of this game, Mike wins a point, so it's four points to three. Uh, (laughs) Did not expect this one. So, the final round of the three-count round. Jason, if you score this point, you win. Mike, if you score this point, you take it to a tiebreaker. Who should be the first AEW women's champion? Reho Rose. or Nyla Rose. Rose, 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 Rose. <laughs> well, I was waiting for him to finish. Did I, did I go first that time? Did you hear me that time, Rod? You jumped the gun. Nyla Rose. And previous precedent, and I believe this is against Sam, previous precedent, I penalised. It's clearly a delay when I talk, so I wanted to talk in the hope that you'd hear me in about five seconds and then you'd know what I spoke first. <laughs> I am broken because you are kind of rude of this, Jason. Um, usually you wait till the question is over with. But given the fact that there's some apparent controversy, I'll let you off. But next time that happens, you will get you will get the opposite answer. But Jason, you said Nyla Rose first, you get Nyla Rose. Ah. Wow, that actually worked. So I think they've got to go. They've got to go with Nyla Rose. They want to make a statement as the most progressive company. Uh, obviously, everyone knows that, like the idea of Nyla Rose makes more sense to be that progressive company. And she's actually a bit of a star. She's actually when you look at the battle royal, she was over. The crowd loves her, and she's getting a great reaction. And she can work. I think she makes the most sense to have a, like a strong dominant champion, but sets precedent that you've got a serious division rather than some tiny little girl. Mike. Yeah, I think the original statement AEW put out was that they want to attract fans who used to be wrestling fans and may have fallen out of love with the business, and they're trying to get them back. And I think seeing Riho overcome the odds and beating the monster would be a good way to come in. That's what a lot of fans associate with. And I think more people can associate with being the underdog overcoming the big monster than the other way around. I think Riho has got the international presence and she's also got the link with Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega has tagged with her in the past. Um, that might work in stop, the future. Stop, stop, stop. One minute starting from now. No one knows who the little Japanese lady is, whereas having the first openly transgender women's champion makes a real statement that you are the modern wrestling company. I'm not sure how anyone cares about the fact that the little Japanese lady also happens to know Kenny Omega. I I think nobody knew who anyone was until they did something great in their career. Something has to be great. Um, I think Riho winning it would make a lot of people know who she was. I think she's a, an actual better wrestler. She's more equipped to have better matches and longer matches with others. 
And like I say, I think a big part of what they need to do is that international presence. I think having Riho would be the best just, way to go. I just don't think she's a draw at all. And I, I don't think they're really going after a Japanese audience with this product. They need to appeal to an American audience and draw good TV ratings and pay-per-view buy rates in America. And I think Nala Rose is the way to do that. No, I think a worldwide audience is where they need to go. They've already... Stop! That worked. Lovely. Uh, finally, some discipline. Um, oh boy, this is tough. So I think Jason made stronger arguments in the sense that uh, it's an American audience, transgender women's champion, would make a real statement for a modern wrestling company. However, I really didn't like your counter argument of little Japanese girl when describing Riho. I don't think that is cool. I think um, that's what the majority think, of the audience would refer to. I, 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 that's I, I think that's very demeaning. I think that's very demeaning. I think that's also quite patronising to an American audience. And if you weren't so shunning of someone's size and actually gave a legitimate criticism beyond someone's size, then you would have won the point, but I really did not like your counter-argument, so I have no option but to give Mike the point here. And it's a shame, because I think you made strong arguments for the most I part. I, would, but that, that, that I really... think it was clear that I was making the angry uh, of what the audience would think, think, and I believe think that's true. I don't think it was, and you're better than that, Mr. Norris. You're better than that. You know that as well, and that's a great shame. So that's four points all, and for the second episode of a row, I have to take this to a tiebreaker. So, I thought long and hard about this one because this is a question that you're not going to expect. Who is the stronger NXT Women's Champion in history? Asuka or Shayna Baszler? Asuka. Jason, you have Shayna Baszler. Mike, since you said Asuka, you get to go first. I think Asuka had some of the best women's matches that I've ever seen. I think that she never actually lost the title. She handed it over to move it to move on to you know the main roster, which I think makes her still she could go back at any time and claim she was undefeated, which leaves it open for the future. I think the idea of once she'd gone through the whole roster, bringing people in from outside, we hadn't seen for a long time since like Mickey James was a brilliant way of doing it. I think that she just you know NXT after NXT after takeover after takeover really had some excellent matches that I still remember to this day. Stop. Jason. Yeah, I think I go with Baszler just because when you look at the actual run, she's had better matches with a wider range of opponents. I think she's just shown more and she can actually speak. She cuts a good promo. She, I know that we were talking Asuka as a badass, but I look at Baszler and think that's what a badass actually looks like. She's the more believable. There's no colourfulness to her. She's just a badass. It's something in the eyes. I think she's a she's actually done better work over her career in NXT. Stop. Stop. Fight. I think one of you has mentioned earlier that this is sports entertainment. I think that starts from the time they walk from behind that curtain. And Oscar, with her entrances, with the different masks, the trails, the live music performance, she's a character... And she has had the better moments. And like I say, the fact that she never lost that title, I think is genius because in two, three years, she can go back with that storyline. Talk about yeah, leaving the storyline for another time. I think that's just a bad, I think it's just bad that they let her leave without losing the belt. And then so look what they've done with her since on the main roster. It's cheapened the actual NXT division by doing that. The fact that she is so hard to beat and then she's got such a 50-50 record and is barely on TV now. Whereas Baszler, I think when you call her up, you'll be able to make much more of a deal about her run of dominance for a longer actual time period. I think she's going to end up being dominant wow. for a lot longer overall. I think if you're saying it cheapened the women's division and now you're saying Shayna Baszler is the stronger character, that kind of counteracts your argument. And Shayna Baszler did stop, lose the title. Stop, stop, stop. This is tough. Oh boy, this is tough. I I um I felt the first 15 seconds of that fight was wasted on sports entertainment rather than the actual discussion of who is better champion. And undefeated does not make you necessarily make you a great champion. And I felt 
I just felt Jason's arguments were stronger. So unfortunately, Mike, you're going to lose on your debut. Ooh, I feel like Kenny. Uh, uh, I, I feel I feel like you're Kenny as well. Um, well, that's yeah. a hell of a compliment. I, I, I'm really sad to give this, but the ultimate heel, the person that no one likes, Jason, you're the winner. Jason, your thoughts. Um, it's good to you know take a young rookie, you know, drag him to a good match on his first time on the big show. You know, I sort of I, I did the best with the dance partner I had, and I think we put on a good show. There's no humility. There is absolutely no humility. You literally <laughs> threw that away. I mean, I can't believe you just went. No, I I'm not going to fight Tanahashi. I, I was like, I was just like a you know, Ric Flair toying with my opponent there. I just thought I'd drag it out, make it good for the crowd. Wow, <laughs> Mike. Mike, how how did you feel on your first show despite losing? You took it to a tiebreaker, which is pretty cool. I, I, I did take it to a tiebreaker, and I, I think somebody refusing to answer a question threw me off so much that that's why I couldn't make that final <laughs> argument. Um, Starting my game. Uh, I'm like Jake Roberts playing the whole time. <laughs> it is. But yeah, yeah. That, that, was a, that was a huge amount of fun, and I really enjoyed it and would love to come back. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would love to see you come back too, and uh, hopefully you might win. It's always very hard, like being the judge. FYI, it's very hard to, you know, um, it, like the amount of great arguments I've heard over the four episodes so far is, uh, uh, it, it's a difficult position, surprisingly as well, when you're trying to fact check everything. So um, yeah, but I think uh, you know, there's some fantastic rounds. Uh, I think my favourite is obviously the IWGP World Championship. Jason, you made that so easy for me. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, uh, um, Mike's much more of an expert in New Japan than I am. And I really don't know much about Tanahashi. So if I didn't get a card, I was screwed. And I'm amadant. I said his name first. <laughs> <laughs> you, really, you really didn't. Like, I genuinely heard Mike first. So that's why. Um, so anyway, um, I think the next episode we'll do will probably be uh, recorded on Tuesday, uh, follow up on Clash of Champions. It will be a Clash of Champions a special where we'll probably talk about that pay-per-view. Hopefully... Uh, something interesting happens or else i'm screwed so anyway that wraps it up for another week of the holy shoot wrestling challenge if you like our show then remember to subscribe like us give us a five-star review pretty please and also you can follow us on social media by liking us on facebook follow us at holy shoot on twitter and at holy shoot wrestling on instagram also going back to the previous plug listen to the interview with jackie that jason did it is a fantastic episode so also, remember our fireflies. Let us see.